So good evening. We actually finished the chapter seven discussion. So, at my popular request, I will refrain from proceeding into chapter eight and entertain questions tonight. Yes, did you have a question? Oh, I did have a question. It's not about what we've been reading on. Well, it's open to any questions. Okay. Um, Pranita showed me a picture yesterday of Mother Jasoda and baby Krishna. Mother Jasoda was blue like Krishna. And Pranita said she read in a number of places that Mother Jasoda was blue. I've never read that, I've never heard that, I've never seen any other picture of Mother Jasoda being blue. And I have heard a story of Krishna's coward boyfriends telling Krishna, you know, you're not really the son of Nanda and Jasoda because you're dark and they're light. Mm-hmm. And then Krishna got so upset and he ran off and hid in the hollow of a tree and wouldn't go home and the other boys went home and Mother Jasoda had to go find him and he was just crying and crying. She finally found him. What's wrong, my little child? You're not my real mother. I'm not your son. And she said, it's not true. She said, the reason you're dark is because you were born at midnight. (laughs) 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 Your mother just saw the blue, or is she light? (laughs) Light colored. (laughs) Um, There may be a description of her and that includes the color of her complexion in Radha Krishna, Gonadishti Pika Vrubhavasami. Uh, we don't have that here. Um, I mean, in, in the room at the moment, I have one in the house. So I'll see if Rupagoswami says anything there. I don't think that he does, but Prabhupada. Um, seems to have approved paintings in which he's painted both dark and light. Hmm? Um, where your soda is, I think. Never seen a dark one. But maybe I'm wrong about about that. Here's one. She's light, and there's a famous one of Merle Dar that she, he's he's quite fair in complexion, so. All eyes on Pranada now. Where does she <laughs> get her information about that? It was a painting that Krishna Gadadeshi painted. You're hoping it's in Radha Gadadeshi? <laughs> <laughs> well, I just read it recently, so I'm thinking maybe you're right that it's there. But you saw a painting of Shamarani or something when she was yeah, painting. She painted the shoulder. Blue, and it struck me as correct because I remember just reading that recently. Uh huh. Something she painted recently? No, not recent. Mm-hmm. No, she tries to be accurate according to what the Shrota Panta, what she's heard from the Parampara, but there may be different opinions also. 
in that regard as well. And I think that overall, of course, the overarching point here, in one sense, is that um, these um, many types of such descriptions are very uh, limited and examples from this world, colors and so forth. I mean, Mahara has uh, her, I guess, uh, her deities, Radha and she had a guest, a young man, visiting the house, interested in Krishna, and they were talking to him about Krishna, and he said, how come Krishna's white? Because he, he knew that Krishna was dark, the deity was white. So, in some places, Krishna is white, <laughs> is the answer. <laughs> um, so, um, again, these are, that is one explanation. Of course, the other idea that is that um, that uh, we sometimes invoke is, is, is the fact that um, in Indian aesthetics, every emotion has a corresponding color. That's not untrue of Western um, emotions and colors. We have soft colors and and passionate colors and and uh, so on and so forth. So um, that said, in, in, in more specifically in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, then the different rasas are described with presiding deities and colors also. So Krishna's color rather than being blue or black or whatever, is, is the color of romantic love. So that's uh, what his color is. <laughs> but then, of course, it says that the sham is the color of romantic love. Yeah. This uh, burnt, like you're wearing, scarf, and like you see in the forest, is the color of sakirasa. I heard a nice story today. You probably heard it too, apparently. And uh, Radhana sent it to me. She was in school, and um, she has a Christian friend, and her friend um, and her have a somewhat close relationship, and a good part of that is, is their mutual interest in God, in loving God, having a loving relationship with God, although obviously they're from different traditions. And... Um, and she said, in the course, everybody in her class knows me because in the course of conversation, people talk about the people they love, their friends, their parents, and so on and so forth. And, and she always talks about me, and Swami said this, and Swami said that, because she's always listening to my lectures and so forth. And so um, what something came up, and... and my friend was working on a painting yeah. flowers, Mixing different colors and right. trying to find different colors. Right. And, and a question came up, and I think that, I don't remember what the question was, but Arana gave an answer that I had given or something like that. And Swami says something like this. Do you remember the question? I don't remember mm. the question that she put on. And then she said, then her friend said, you know, I would like to hear his voice at some point some point. She said, what? We got it right here, you know, <laughs> on her iPhone. So then she turned it on and the whole class 
started listening to the to Swami's voice in the lecture. And then she she said, let's play a little more, play a little more. And she said, I'm getting this feeling, this color, kind of a burnt, rust, orange. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Radhana was quick to tell her, that's the only color he wears for the last 40 years. <laughs> she, she painted it. She thought she, 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 she painted painting the color. That's, That's it. the color he wears. Yeah, yeah. So, um, of course, it's the color of the, the renunciates and whatnot, the holy people in India, um, the sannyasis, but it's also the color of, of uh, fraternal love. So, at any rate, there are uh, such... Uh, this is such an identification with colors and rasas and so forth, emotions in aesthetics, perhaps in greater precision or detail than, than we have worked out in Western culture. Maybe we have more broader terms like passionate colors, as I said, warm colors, cold colors, so on and so forth. But, um, but, but. The fact that Krishna is the color of, of romantic love makes one, and, and Mother Yasoda is the personification of parental love, one makes one wonder about that description of her being of the same color. And of course, the story you told—I've heard that story before. I forget where. It's a, I know. It's a charming story. Uh huh. It's a charming story. Um, I don't remember the color of parental love given in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. Um, and then, and then short of any such description that has been offered by an Acharya, if, if we don't find it in Rupa Goswami's Radhakrishna Ganadesh Dipika, which you could find on, online probably, um, then it hasn't been. Uh, told and 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 we are left to some um, I- imagination that has approval of persons their spiritual standing, as in the case with uh, the windows to the spiritual world, as Prabhupada referred to them. Mm-hmm. You know, just listening to, hmm, up to a certain, yeah, uh-huh. that particular painting. I was listening to a, a brief <laughs> a brief talk that uh, Ramaswar gave that someone at Sudhul had sent me about the books and Prabhupada's particulars about the art and so forth, how things should be painted, and and he, he was pretty particular about it when there were changes. He was not happy with that, unapproved changes, whether. Of course, whether he's trying to make a point only to that, and and um, deal with the tendency that he saw in his disciples of the American. He said Americans always want to change things. Maybe he meant Americans and Europeans, but Americans in particular always want to change things and make it better. You know, the entrepreneurialism. It's a vice you know, capitalist new and improved society, right? It's a new and improved version. Everything, like we were saying last night, you know, they want to 
invent now thousands or whatever it is, millions of years into humanity, what is spirituality, you know, better than it's ever been, you know, described before, without any examples that uh, personify it, that compare to, for example, the Buddha or Jesus or Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and so forth. So, um, anyway, he characterized, I think particularly his American disciples, that always wanted to change things and, and um, and he found it to be uh, problematic in relation to a tradition that um, is not without uh, new light or reframing and so forth. It has been over the years, and it's characteristic of our party bar coming from, from Bhakti Vinod. Um, but is at the same time a time-tested tradition that has produced considerable um, results and um, and uh, the fear of changing them, such principles. I, I heard a fellow say that he wanted to be innovative in the in the West in in distributing um, Krishna consciousness, and that um, he wanted to be careful in doing it, not to change the philosophy, not to do it outside of. Uh, this was a person in. Uh, in a, in a different organization and outside of the parameters of the organization um, and without um, changing any any principles but only details and, and, and acknowledging that there's a difference between the two details and, and principles. All that's fairly reasonable but, but uh, you have to know my advice would be first know what Krishna is, then talk about Krishna in the West or the whatever, the North or South, and uh, and, <laughs> and what the philosophy is also. Same person in the, in the in the in the talk wasn't clear on the difference between the Atma and Brahman. There's oh, an important <laughs> tradition of thousands of years that Prabhupada's books, for example, are derived from. And, you know, to know Prabhupada and to be focused on Prabhupada, as many of his disciples want to be, really involves, you know, I've said before that if you look at Krishna, you know, it's just Krishna, you keep, keep looking with the right eyes, scriptural eyes, and you see he's not alone. There's Radha, and there's the whole assembly of the inhabitants of Vrindavan, for example, and, and of course they are all, as it turns out, more important than Krishna. They are love of Krishna. They are Krishna in that sense. Um, so you see them, or you look at you look see there's Krishna. You look further, you see there's Radha and Krishna. Keep looking, you see there's Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and so on and so forth. And so um, it is with uh, with Prabhupada or any guru, you look carefully. If you have one guru, really, in a true sense of the term, then you have many gurus. You understand the parampara. You actually have a relationship with Rupa Goswami, Sanatana Goswami, and, and so on and so forth. Um, and um, uh, to know Prabhupada, to know his associates, to know you acquainted with him in terms of how they look at him also hmm? and see that he's a multi or any guru, any acharya, he's a multifaceted person 
and and so forth. This is to have a mature type of understanding in relationship and so forth. And to, to divorce him, excuse me, as some do from previous charges and freezing in time and whatever he says now is where it begins and everything else is not as important. Whatever he says from here on is, uh, you know, the beginning and the end, as some people do. That's very, very um, problematic. And um, so that was just an example of a very basic point of the philosophy that someone didn't understand while talking about, you know, innovatively spreading Krishna consciousness and being cautious about not changing the philosophy um, didn't exactly change it, but left a very basic concept uh, un, 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 question about it unanswered and uh, and so forth. And so, I mean, I mean it's, it's in, we are part of a rich, rich tradition that we should enter into and understand that, that we're entering into the, by doing so, into the world of our our guru. He's not alone there. It's not that you go to go to Goloka Vrindavan and it'll just be Prabhupada and nobody else. Um, yes? Uh, kind of in the same line of that, when we read Rupa Goswami's uh, examples of all the various rasas and all the various uh, bhavas and uh, the experiences as, as as put forth from the Bhagavatam. This is an example of this. Yeah. So it would seem that then all those all those engaged in the Leela would have to be at the stage of Bhava Bhakti. Is that a, to, to be able to use those as examples? Is that well, the examples of of different ecstasies and yes. so forth that he uses are all examples of people who are you know, experiencing the, more than bhava, hmm? the perfection of bhava. They can be tasting rasa. You can have bhava and not rasa. That, that takes some time. It's, it's the developing of the stayibhav. When the stayibhav is mature, when it's budding, it's bhava when it's mature. Then that's Prem, and that's the Stayabhav is the basis then of the whole experience of Rasananda. So all those people, yeah, they're all participants in the Leela. There may be there may be also persons entering into the Leela that, that aren't descending with the Leela, but they would also be very extraordinary persons. So an example that utilized the wives of the Brahmanas say. Uh, is that uh, I'm just trying to? Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Are they? Are they? Prepared? Depends how the depends how the example is used. Okay. It doesn't necessarily have to. In that sense, it doesn't necessarily have to be have to be someone who's tasting rasa. It's not explaining that they're tasting rasa necessarily. Then uh, um, they are, I believe, thought to be um, sadhakas hmm, who have entered the lila and. and and um, and the, the prakat lila, the manifest lila, is such that uh, people can bump into it. That's its, that's its generosity. It has elements of both of perfection and, and imperfection in it. Not that it's imperfect, 
but it manifests in the world. It's just like the same thing with the sadhaka deya. It's it, unless it's perfected, it has its spiritual and material, it has spiritual aspect and material aspect. As much as the gross body comes out of the subtle body, so if the chitta is deeply impressed with um, bhakti, sangskar, and so forth, then arguably your body is to that extent spiritualized. So the, the prakat lila is sometimes compared to a sadhaka deha, hmm? work in progress. Not that the lila is in progress, but the, uh, work in progress. But it's it is descending in one sense for devotees on a certain level, hmm? whose pitch of separation is uh, separation has reached a, reached a pitch that Krishna can't tolerate their separation anymore, and neither they, and so that's one reason you can say why the Leela manifests hmm, for such devotees. And then, you know, well, those devotees aren't alone, they're in this world, and everybody in the world is not hmm, like them, so you do have examples given in other scriptures, I think, you know, for example, the Garga Samhita gives examples of of the various um, henchmen of Kamsa and who they were in their previous life and how they did something and so they were born there. They're not necessarily portrayed as being siddhas. So not everybody in the Prakat Lila is a siddha. But examples of someone experiencing rasa would imply that, that they were on level to experience rasa, but all the examples don't uh, aren't used in that way. So in that sense... No is the, is the answer, and yes is the answer in the other sense. When we when when it's mentioned that the demagogues are to take birth and engage in the pastime, but they they actually are with the siddhas. Uh, uh, For example, entering into the siddhas or something. Yeah, entering into the body. There are some examples like that. Yeah. So you know. Nanda and Yasoda, these were demagogues. Also, demagogues were there with them. Mm-hmm. So, were the demagogues? Should we look at the demagogues as in praying bhakti? Well, they looked as sadhakas. Those devotees who um, participate in the who who who, who enter into the um, um, who perfect themselves in bhakti. Yeah. can come from different quarters. They can come from this world through sadhana. They can come from heaven. They are also considered sadhakas, but they are described differently because they're coming from a different place. I've reasoned, for example, the, that, that as per the Bhagavad Gita, there are there is the description of those whose yoga, and that you can apply this to devotees to some extent, because speaking about yoga per se, but... Um, um, Prabhupada would cited it in relation to himself as a devotee. Who so those devotees who are not perfect in their practice, hmm, but have practiced for a long time, hmm, they can. But uh, well, for there are those who, excuse me, not perfect in practice for a shorter period of time can attain heaven. Long time they can take birth in the homes of uh, transcendentalists. Um, um, and from those in heaven, 
then or the Gita says they come down, they take birth in pious families and and so forth, where they have the liberty, a wealthy family have the liberty to, I suppose, because things are taken care of for them and the environment is conducive, more conducive to pick up where they left off and so forth. But, but um, some go to heaven, and those that go to heaven before coming down, if Krishna's Leela comes, then they can come from there. So they're also considered, Jiva Goswami explains, to be Sadhana Siddhas. Hmm? But they're coming from there. So, um, and they may appear uh, not only by way of, like you say, entering into Nanda and Yashoda, as in the case of, what are their names? Dara and... Anyway. Hmm. But... Um, appearing as Krishna's friends, and so forth. Uh, um, so not everybody, anyway, in the Prakat Leela is, uh, is a Siddha, but many are sadhakas, and that, it's, it's an awfully... Um, um, generally, the sadhaka who's attained Surup Siddhi then enters into the Leela in the next life. There may be other instances... And, the heavenly people may not have done that and were there, devotees there, possibly. So there are different, different possibilities, yes. Yesterday you said, and I don't remember the context, that Bhakti is in the mode of goodness. She appears there. Well, Bhakti, Bhakti has a form that Vishwanath Chakriti Thakur is termed Sattviki Bhakti. Sattva means Sattva Guna. So a Sattviki form of Bhakti. So Bhakti manifests in the Sattva Guna. She's transcendental, but she manifests in the Sattva Guna. And in that context, bestows the liberation upon those who aspire for it. Because without bhakti, they can't attain it. And they are in the mode of goodness themselves. And the knowledge, for example, jnana, is a manifestation of sattva guna. Knowledge is. So the jnanis seek to leave knowledge behind. That's the idea of Brahma, Brahma, Brahma Sayuja. There's, there's no knowledge, there's no knower, and there's no object of knowledge. There's no object of knowledge, there's no knower, and and so there's nothing to be known. Hmm. Um, knowing it, you know everything and know nothing. Um, something like that at the same time. So, um, you know, that's what merging is about, as much as you can. You are a jiva, so you can't lose your status as such, but... Um, so, you know, by getting very highly situated in the mode of goodness and being involved in contemplation of the Atma and meditation and so forth, with uh, factoring in, in bhakti. In, in Gita, in the Bhagavatam, there's described bhakti in different modes of nature. Hmm. It's even possible to do bhakti in the Rajaguna and attain Vaikuntha, according to the Bhagavatam. They want to attain Brahman, so they do. So Bhakti mm. gives them that. Bhakti gives them that, yeah. So that in other words, um, it, whatever liberation is attained 
from the stage of sattva, that's gifted really by bhakti. Yeah, you can't attain liberation without bhakti. Yeah, the Bhagavatam is very clear on that, and uh, the Gita also, many nice verses. It's a very, very strong point of the... Um, um, the commentators. Hmm. Um, I mean, Gita is very clear. Bhakti amama bhajananti avanyas chasmi tatvaha stomam tatatogantva abhishite tadanantaram. It's speaking directly there about those who want to merge into Brahman. Brahma bhuta prasanatmana sochite nakakshiti samasaveshu bhuteshu madbhaktim labhate param. Is speaking about Gyan, Gyan Mishra Bhakti. They become Brahmabhuta. And they become happy, Prasanatma, in, the, in the, what is called Brahmabhuta, and free from hankering and lamentation. And they, they, they attain Bhakti. And the next verse, Bhakti Mama Bhajanati Abhanyas Chasmi Tattvata, Tomam Tattvatognatva Abhishtaritaranantaram. And only by bhakti can one enter into me. Vishate taranantaram. One can only enter into me by bhakti. And arguably Krishna is speaking about himself in terms of his Brahman feature that the jnanis want to enter into. Now there are jnanis that, that don't want to enter into the Brahman feature. By association they can they can attain position like Sukadev, for example, or the Kumaras. Hmm. That's also a possibility. Um, that's the higher end if you will, of Gyan Mishra Bhakti. If Bhakti chooses, she's free to enter into goodness or the very goodness thing. Yeah, yeah. And um, related, you... There's no jailbreak is the point. Yeah. Hmm? As much as, that, that's what Krishna says in the Gita, Mama Maya Bharata, if you want to look at material life as, as bondage, hmm? So the, the example of um, in incarceration is appropriate. Hmm? And um, Durga, very difficult Durga to go from hmm? this world. So as if we are bound, incarcerated, there's no jailbreak. Hmm? It's, it's not like Krishna makes a jail or whatever and, and you, you can get out. You know, <laughs> If Krishna makes a jail, there are no escapes. <laughs> There's no tunnels you know, underneath there. That's why the Bhagavatam says, um, what's that verse? Abhishuddha Buddhaya, Vimukta Manina. How does that start? Yenye Ravindaksha Vimukta Manina. Abhishuddha Buddhaya. Aruya Kachjena Paramapadam Tadha Patanti Adho. So they they come up to, you know, they dig the tunnel and everything like that, right? But they can't get out. They think we're out, you know. But uh, they're not. I mean, even these days, you know, you, you really, it's pretty hard to break out of jail nowadays. I mean, I mean, you know, in the United States, it's, it's awfully hard not to be... You know, you're out of the walls, but you're not out of the, you know, cameras everywhere and whatever. They got practically got you. They just start probably putting chips in the prisoners, and then you know they can know where they are at all times and something like that. So that's 
if you can do that, materially speaking, then what to speak of Mamamaya, Krishna says, Duratyaya. It's Prabhupada uses the word Duratyaya, you need to further translate, insurmountable. So there's no jailbreaks. That's only a fantasy, a dream that people, some people in jail dream about. And and their their dream about escaping involves. That's why it's not it's not possible because it involves not an unwillingness to 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 reform and to and an unwillingness to do the duties that you have, an unwillingness to recognize that you are a subordinate entity and you have an obligation. So the idea of renunciation unto itself does not acknowledge that the, that the jiva is a jiva, in a sense, and has has some some responsibility. Some it's a serving entity. So and then the, 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 so the low end of that is Brahma Soyuja with the help of bhakti. And that's in the low, and then from there you go to like Shantaras. That's way higher than that, but it's 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 similar, but it's way higher than that. And you go to Dasya, and the more this is coming out, you know, the acknowledgement of this what what I am. I'm a servant, so I have something to do, right? At least I have someone to acknowledge. <laughs> it's kind of low. At least I acknowledge. Praise be, and you know. Uh, we're all here peacefully on his account, you know, something like that. So that there's no, yeah, there's no jailbreak. Hmm. You have to be reformed. Hmm. You have to acknowledge the leader. Hmm. Something like that. Yes. Just on the related, you said that um, Maya bodies uh, have a kind of twisted idea of gyan which made me think, I wonder if I have a misunderstanding of jnana as described in the Gita, where I, I, in a simple way, I always associated jnana with mayavad, that they're attempting to go to Brahma, Sayuja, jnanis, that's what jnanis do. That's what I thought. Is that too simplistic? Then? Yeah, so there's much more uh, to, to the word, different applications, uh, just like we have Sambandagyan. So there is knowledge uh, about Bhagwan that is foundational to Bhakti. Hmm. So there is Gyan in Bhakti, knowledge about Krishna, his attributes, his qualities, his leelas, um, his form, and so on and so forth, his teaching. Hmm. And all, um, and of course, there are devotees who there's there's the Gyan Mishra Bhakti. By Gyan Mishra Bhakti, you can get Brahma Sauja, but you could attain more than that also. Hmm? You could get Shantarasa, hmm? attain Shantarasa, for example. And if you attain Shantarasa, and in good association, you can attain Dasya or Sakyarasa. That's the one thing about Shantarasa that it's it's different than the other rasas. You can move upward from it. By association, so it's uh, it's kind of this neutrality. It's kind of you know a little bit of the of the fence sitting, so to speak, um, rather than being on the other side. I mean, it is on the other side. It's liberated. It's very exalted and so forth. But it's not um, defining in the way 
that Dasya Sakya Batsalya Madhurya are, it can be changed. They aren't they, they don't they don't change. And they can be changed by association with those with those rasas. It's possible. Hmm. So yeah, no, um, the, the problem with the Maya bodies is another thing. Um, Krishna, for example, I mentioned the other day, he praises the jnanis. Hmm. He says, the, 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 the four, these are the best, they're, they're dear to me. They see Vasudeva, Sarvamiti, this is their vision. Krishna is everything, Vasudeva is everything, and so on. Um, Obviously, they're not offen- the Kumaras were not offensive to Krishna. The Sukadeva was not offensive to Krishna. Sukadeva Goswami. They were Ganes. Hmm? The, the problem with the Mayabad is this, that their idea of what constitutes knowledge ultimately is the understanding of the oneness, absolute oneness between Jiva and Atma. But there is no absolute oneness between Jiva and Atma, mm-hmm. according to the sacred text. And you can quote all you like from the sacred text that say Jiva and Atma are one. It doesn't do away with all the statements that say Jiva and Atma are, are not one. Mm-hmm. You can't just ignore them. We don't ignore them. We take take they're one and they're different. Jiva is one and different, and at the same time, and we you know have a philosophy to explain that. Mm-hmm. So when you say there is no Jiva. Jiva is an illusion, and the reality is that, that there's only Brahman. There is no Jiva. This is not knowledge, but this is the, the, the foundational knowledge, if you will, of the Mayabad, uh, and and also that there's no world. This is this spiritual idealism. There is no there is no matter. Now you've got some modern people who try to look at the way to Vedanta from uh, look at physics, quantum physics from the way to point of view, and they try to say that it supports quantum physics, the idea that there is no world. I mean, that's hardly what the majority of quantum physicists <laughs> agree with them that there is no no objective world or world of matter. But but at any rate. Um, this is the problem with the knowledge, if you will, of the um, of the Maya bodies. Gyan is, is another thing, um, and uh, so wrong Gyan or something, or some wrong-headedness there. That's the problem. But are many other forms there of. You know, Gyanmajur Bhakti is, is also that you, you have knowledge of that Krishna is God. Hmm. This is the very high end. Hmm. That you're fully a devotee, you love Krishna, but you, you know that he's God. Even in Dwarka, we find this. Even in Mathura. Hmm. But Vrindavan is characterized as Gyan Shunya Bhakti. So, it has to be the most blissful because we know ignorance is bliss. Mm-hmm. Right? They correspond. The Tamaguna and Ladini, they actually have some correspondence. The low end and the high end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Love is an, is an ignorance, right? We talked about the naive reality the other day, the philosophical concept of naive reality. That is the spiritual form of it that is there in Krishna Leela. Mm-hmm. 
They have no head for a tattva. It just gets in the way. And practically it gets in the way of our everyday life. Just if I tell you, you're really only atoms and that's only really, your love is really only this hormone going off and so on and so forth. And, and what did, and then what do you do? You just, you can't live that, right? You can't live that life. What else? Yes. The uh, jail metaphor raises the question of crime. What's the crime? I have a friend who posits the crime is turning your back on Krishna and leaving his leela. Well, um, the uh, I would say that uh, metaphors have their limitations. <laughs> And they don't prove anything, but they seek to help give us insight into, into um, truths, give us a handle on them. But they break down all of them to some extent. That what the scriptures say, hmm, we can say this world is like a jail. Hmm. We can use a metaphor like that hmm, to explain it from one angle, and there will be limitations. We can speak about it in an entirely different way as well. I say it is the love of Vishnu, the Shristi Lila, the one desire to become many, Lokavatu Lila Kaivalyam, out of love, for joy, out of play. And so to talk about it as a jail is a very negative way to talk. So there are different ways to talk about it, different ways to explain it. We use it. In this instance tonight, just to say that there's just as there's no getting out of jail, and as much as you can apply that metaphor to speak about our situation, there's no getting out of the material world without bhakti. Hmm. The scriptural uh, truth is undeniably is that that karma has no beginning. That karma is the the influence that binds the jiva with matter. Hmm? What binds the jiva to matter is karma. Hmm? And so as much as there's no beginning to matter, the material world, Hinduism is well known everywhere except maybe in some Gaudiya group somewhere, <laughs> that 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 it speaks about a beginningless world hmm, that comes and goes in cycles. I mean, this is just common understanding and an accurate understanding of how compared to, for example, and this is the difference, Western idea of linear time and the Christian idea of some beginning and even the uh, you know, the, the, the uh, scientific idea in, in some quarters of a beginning of the universe. And while we may acknowledge the beginning of the universe, we say that that, that 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 follows the end, you know, of the previous universe. And there are scientific theories also today, credible ones, that... that um, and make that kind of conjecture 
and try to support it with mathematics and so forth. That, that, very similar to the Hindu idea that with every big bang, that's a explosion or the, there's a big crunch. And so, anyway, so this secular, cyclical time, India, Hinduism is characterized by a cyclical perspective on time, and Western um, philosophy, for the most part, is um, in this regard characterized by a linear conception of time. There are fair number of evidences now and in the past also um, of Western thinking and philosophy and, and, and science giving room for the possibility of time being cyclical. Nietzsche, Nietzsche, Nietzsche. You find it in his writings. And there's in modern science, there are some room for that. But, but at any rate, basically, the Western thinking has been, with regard to time, has been linear, and 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 with the beginning, you know, out of out of nothing, the world was created. There's a Christian doctrine like this of ex nihilo. Now people, there are a number of Christian theologians that question that and say, well, it doesn't mean what it sounds like, that it's out of nothing, but it means he's unrestricted and, and so forth. And, and, and uh, Anyway, so the point I'm making is basically is there's a difference between Eastern and Western thought in this. There may be some convergence, we hope, you know, at, over time and whatnot, but but um, it's very clear hmm, that Hinduism, that means the Upanishads, the Vedas, the Bhagavad Gita, it's all, it's in the Brahma Samhita, to use some of our texts, it's in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, it's very clear everywhere, again and again and again and again and again, that the world has no beginning. That means that Maya Shakti has no beginning. The Jiva Shakti has no beginning. Hmm? Because after all, they're aspects of God. They're shaktis of God. God is complete with his shaktis. Hmm? And, uh, and, and the two of them coming together is what the world is about. And the force that binds them together is karma. Hmm? And with regard to that combination of the two, under the influence of karma that makes up the world, hmm? well, there's no beginning to the world cycles. There is no beginning to the world cycles. So, as much as there's no beginning to to the Maya Shakti, there's no beginning to the Jiva Shakti, and there's no beginning to the world cycles, there can't be any beginning to karma, which is integral to the world, the world cycles. Hmm? Karma is manifest and unmanifest, like the jivas are, and like the Maya Shakti is, and like the world is. That's the end of the cycle, and then manifesting again. But that cyclical affair has no beginning, hmm? and so it's uh, it's very. I mean, it's, this is. You can read it probably in Wikipedia, you know, 
or any any Indologist, anybody that studied basic Hindu ideas. This is the belief of the Hindus. It means it, and their belief comes from the Upanishads, from the Bhagavad Gita, from the Puranas, and so forth, uh, the Veda. Hmm? And the idea there of cyclical time is much more developed idea than, for example, you find in Greece or other some other cultures where cyclical time was a was a way of thinking based on the changing of seasons and things go around and so it was a much more sophisticated uh, notion of, of of that and again it has it seems to have some um, there are um, scientific people today who seem to buy into that also it, they're not buying into Hinduism, but they're buying into that idea and think that, that it has some um, uh, value, um, that, it's, that it's true, and, and it's how the world works. You know, it's gonna go. So anyway, I, I you know, the, yes, the, the, the prison example hmm, uh, implies that there was a crime committed. Hmm. Um, if you want to stretch it out and try to include that, I suppose you could say, yes, there is a crime and it has no beginning. Hmm. And, uh, and it's a crime, in a sense, to, to not turn towards Krishna. Of course, it's described as turning away. But, um, you know, these types of there's the famous verse in the Bhagavatam, Bayam Bhitidya Bhinaveshita Syat. The turning away um, is an example of the limits of, of language. If you look at the commentaries on such verses and so forth, you, you find the explanation that I've given um, of an Adi Karma. So, so you can you can call it original sin then you know if you want, but a Christian um, notion it wouldn't be that's not very popular, but um, idea. But um, we are under the um, impression that there are things that cannot be known other than through revelation. And that the sacred texts are a body of revelation, and, and such topics are examples of that. So um, we take it on its face, even though it doesn't always settle that well with some people. Now, when I recently had the opportunity to speak with some um, ethnic Hindu families, and this question was asked of me. That you know, why is it you know if we are such it and all? Is it, why is it so hard you know to realize what, what are we doing here in the first place? So that kind of a thing. So I explained that for God to be full, um, uh, taster, experiencer of love, hmm? the connoisseur of love, as we think of him, all loving. Then, if God is all loving, then all forms of love must be part of His experiential reality. Hmm? 
and in the Paravyom in Baikuntha, then he is uh, uh, limited in terms of experiencing and expressing compassion in the form of bestowing mukti because there's, there are only muktas. Hmm? And so out of the desire to bestow mukti, which is a powerful expression of compassion, then there's a corresponding world that goes with that. That's this world. When I told them that, they thought, oh, that's such a nice answer. It was so, they were so... They were, so they had some, I thought, some predisposition to... Uh-huh. Um, someone else would say, oh, great, so, you know, so that I'm suffering so that God can, you know, be compassionate. But that whole argument is like, you don't understand that you are God. You are the part of God. You are one of the Shaktis of God who is complete with his Shaktis. So there's no one to blame. You are part of God that's doing this, you know, that, that, that's, that's playing this part. From the, Abed, from the Abed point of view, there's no one to blame. And if we want to look at it from the Bade point of view, then we blame you. <laughs> hmm? because, because you keep doing things that, you know, that cause reactions that constitute bondage, even though we're offering... Yeah, right. Hmm. So God's, you know, doing what he does. Hmm. And part of it is he's being compassionate. He only has himself to deal with, so we just happen to be, you know, a part of him. Hmm. And so the whole idea that I'm separate and, hey, you know, I want it on my terms and all, this is this is, this is what bondage is about. <laughs> this is the bondage. Hmm. So, um, you know, I mean, and, you know, if you, if, you, if you look, this is, you know, an overworked issue, but um, if you look, the more you really progress spiritually, hmm, you see, on the lower end of spiritual practice, you, there's the prospect of having problems with God and the way He does things. Hmm? Because you're still experiencing problems and suffering in your life and your bhakti hasn't reached a point of you know, relieving you of the sufferings and, and so forth. And so there may be questions and doubts about God and you have to be convinced to serve and inspired to serve and, and so on and so forth. And so the idea comes that, well, You've been here forever, and you think, why me? And there are others that haven't been here, and so God's partial, and you start having problems with him on the lower end. The higher you get, and the more advanced you get in spiritual practice, hmm, the, the problem comes on the other end. Hmm? Hmm? The more you, in other words, the more you get to know God hmm, by making spiritual advancement, the more there's no place in your head for the idea that you could leave God. Hmm? That just, like, I'm sorry, that doesn't work for me. Hmm? 
and but and you say, so if I have to fall from Vaikuntha, then I'm not going to Vaikuntha, and I don't want that Vaikuntha. That can't be Vaikuntha. That's, that's a different Vaikuntha than what I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. It's just as a person will refuse on the lower end, he can't, you know, wait a minute, that's not fair, hmm? or something like that. Hmm? It makes sense, sounds like God's not, you know, good. The more you get to make progress spiritually, hmm, then you, the more you can't relate to such an argument that it's untrue, really. It is untrue. No one falls from Vaikuntha. No one, no one could leave Krishna, and Krishna couldn't let anybody leave. Hmm? That's uh, such as uh, the nature of, of love, the nature of perfection. There cannot be imperfection within perfection. The word siddhi means perfect, the perfect asiddha. You, there cannot, I mean, there cannot be imperfection within perfection. Hmm? It won't arise there. In the imperfect condition, then perfection can come from outside of it and perfect us. But with imperfection, there's no meaning to perfection which contains within it an element or even a prospect of imperfection. Hmm? So you, you just undefined the word or you, 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 you know, you've, you've given a whole different definition. An imperfect perfection hmm? doesn't make any sense. So, <laughs> um, these are good points, I suppose, to to raise. To, I think that uh, despite hearing them, people remain attached to their ideas. There are other, other things going on besides scriptural understanding, reason, um, fidelity to the tradition, to the Guru Parampara, and, uh, and so forth. Right, we were talking about this years ago. <laughs> right, so yeah, I mean, and um, there's many beautiful um, ways to talk about our conditioned life that make it better in terms of its prospect than even the Nityasiddhas. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very you have to get the broader picture and uh, you know I mean, the suffering is a perception it's not happening to you it doesn't happen to the atma it happens in the mind only and of course that does you know doesn't pacify people who are suffering but that's the that's the teaching and it's a, it's a good it's a good good teaching it's a good explanation um, you know, the world has no beginning, so karma has no beginning. You, know, you just, you just, yeah, yeah. And beginning means time. And the world you want to go to that you think you fall from, there is no time. Hmm? There's only time there in terms of sequence of events, for, for the sake of sequence. There's no beginnings or ends. Hmm? Every leela has no beginning and has no end, although there's a sequence to it 
that's appearing here and not and, and like the example is given just kind of help us as limited as any metaphor is of the sun right it's always 12 o'clock somewhere right right and it's only 12 o'clock for one second <laughs> in every place <laughs> but it's always 12 o'clock somewhere so the Leela is like that this example has been given so where is the question of a, of something uh, a, a, an event originating hmm? now there's the event of your liberation hmm? right hmm? there's the event of your liberation system I'm like well there's a point where you become liberated where you weren't but that happens here hmm? And what what happens when you become liberated in the bhakti context? It means that a bhava from there that's eternally existing, nityasiddha krishna prem sadhyakabunai, hmm? that eternally existing bhava has entered into you hmm? in this world. Hmm? That has a beginning. So there's beginning to your to your bhakti. Hmm? Hmm. And um, but the bhava of Madhurya rasa, the bhava of Batsali rasa, the bhava of Sakya rasa, has no beginning, and it has many different forms and expressions, unlimited. Yours is is one of the unlimited potential expressions of that bhava hmm, in the relationship with Krishna as as a friend. Hmm. So there's no there's no beginning in that 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 sense. That's the, the strong point of the philosophy that the Bob, what you want to attain, has to be eternal. Hmm? So the Baba can't be something that's an event in time. Hmm? It's eternally existing. Otherwise, what you attain is not something eternal. So the Baba has to be eternal. So it's not that it begins. And so, you know, how that plays out in terms of somebody just came to the world, it's like they were always there, the Bob is always there, and here's another expression of it, and there's always new expressions of it at every moment from everyone who is is an embodiment of it. Hmm? So again, you know, analogies, metaphors break down. These are only, we're trying to uh, talk about things that are beyond thought, beyond language and so on and so forth but there's no there's no beginnings there hmm? again our bhakti can begin here so the timelessness can come within time hmm? but time in terms of beginnings and ends cannot come within the timeless hmm? you can't have time in eternity <laughs> right eternity's bigger than time Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Can eternity come within time? Well, uh, you know, it's like can infinite come within the finite? I guess uh, of its infinite capacity, it, it it can. That's the idea of Krishna's descent or the descent of bhakti. Mm-hmm. Can perfection reveal itself to imperfection and come within its its um, frame of reference? Sure. Why not? It's perfect. Mm-hmm. Why not? We can do that. And by that we can become perfect. I mean, these are 
simple points that are very, very foundational to to bhakti. As a gift, as 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 something that's bestowed, as something that's revealed, and something that has again no no beginning, no time in terms of beginning or end. So there's there's no place for something happening there for the first time. Even though new things are happening all the time, I mean, what what those are are the are the babas. Just like there's nothing that happens new here in one sense, just the transformation of the modes of nature. Hmm? That's all it is. The modes of nature are just transforming all the time, and it's endlessly mutable. Hmm? So that's another way of think. Maybe a way to get help of us understand it. Hmm? Bhava is full, and it's uh, prem is full, complete, and it's always expanding at the same time. Hmm? That's the whole meaning of being full, right? It's so full that it's it's, it's always expanding, <laughs> something like that. Hmm. So, you know, a a material event hmm, can't happen there. Offense can't happen there. Hmm. Can't make offense to Krishna if you love Krishna. Become envious of Krishna. <laughs> so, this is the problem that I think that's that you, what we we would probably do well to share with people. There's a problem from this side. Think about it. Think about that. But if they just want to quote somebody said that, you know, and that's all there is to it, and not bother to deal with the fact that the same person quoted the opposite somewhere. You know, it's an emotional issue that's not going to be resolved by giving the scriptural conclusions. But we can try. One of my biggest problems in life, I'm trying to get over it, is is thinking that people who have shown themselves to be unreasonable can be reasoned with. And 99% of the time, it's not the case. And you make a very kind and considerate and um, patient and authoritative from a Godia perspective, reply and answer, and you're expecting, well, there it is. You know, and it just, it doesn't... Uh, it's totally misinterpreted and misunderstood and twisted and rejected and so so you know, you to, I'm sorry, I guess you have to you know deal with people in, in another level rather than scripturally and logically if possible, you know, their association. It's just like, you know, someone has no place in their mind at all for homosexuality. Hmm? No place at all. Until they find out that their son is gay, you know, and so because it's now has an emotional component hmm, that's close to them and so forth. There's a some opening, hmm, a possibility of of, of, an, of an opening, even though it may be at first even rejected and so forth. Still, that this so. This is the way to um, 
try to help some people who are really stuck on that issue and on the wrong side of that, um, perhaps uh, invite them over. You know. Anyway, I'm sorry. Oh, I was just, it's, it's probably with this particular um, person, it's probably even worse than that because he's developed a theory that explains falling from Vaikuntha and the what he calls an empathic theology where we're feeling for Krishna because we've hurt him or something. I mean, and he's attached, so attached to that, that if you get into a conversation and you can get... But these are all made-up things. Exactly. There's there's no basis in Scripture for this, you know. You have to, I mean, if you say anything, we probably used to drive into our heads that that, you know, if you say anything... You have to support it with the scripture. I remember when we were young in L.A., someone would get to the Bhagavatam class, and you'd have these guys sitting there, you know, like this. Everything has to be there has to be a quote for everything. Was, yeah. was like, so you know, the whole theory that we have em- empathetic. What is it? Empathetic. Well, it's sort of a covering for Krishna. You know, oh, we've hurt him, so that's why we're suffering so much because we've hurt Krishna so badly. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a totally you know made up idea that just has no scriptural basis to it whatsoever. It's so out there that you know that what can you say? I mean, that someone can you have to get back to some basics like you know it's an interesting concept. You know, it sounds very interesting. It might work for your mind and so forth, but. You know, it has, but it has no scriptural basis, and the scriptural basis is what will get you out of your mind, which is the whole problem. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you make it up as you go along. Yeah. I mean, the scripture is very, um, very brief on the subject, and for good reason. Because when the sutras ask, the subject is, is, is God um, prejudiced or biased, um, impartial, or is he partial? If he, is he partial? No. Mm-hmm. He, he, he makes the world just out of, out of love. He has no purpose. And the one becomes many. Mm-hmm. But then the question comes, we see that among the many, some suffer and some are happy, for example. There's inequality. So, therefore, we say that, that God must be partial. The sutras reply, no, it's not the partiality of God. That's the work of karma. Hmm? The jiva sow seeds, and the material world responds. That's justice. And God uh, defers to the justice. He has a relationship with his Maya Shakti, and this is part of that relationship, that when the jivas take from the material energy, the material energy takes back. That's justice, and he defers to that. He doesn't get involved in that. So he has nothing to do with that. That impartiality is between you and the Maya Shakti, which you have this relationship with, which is one on your part of exploitation of material nature, and material nature has a has a comeback. 
Hmm? And so you're in this bond of karma. That's God is. He doesn't get in the way. He doesn't override it because he has to honor the Maya Shakti, and and you're doing it yourself anyway. So he is not uh, to be blamed for our condition. But then the question comes: Well, that's okay, all well and good. But then in the beginning, when karma first started, he must have started people out at diff- differently. Hmm? And then the scripture says, no, because Anvanadi. Next. Then it goes on to the next. The next the next is slightly related, but but different. And the, the, the scripture goes on and takes up takes up the 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 issue on another level. No, because of Anadi. We do when we where we do see partiality of God, however, is in relation to his devotees. Hmm. And that is a beautiful thing. That isn't because Without that, there would be no devotees. Hmm? And it talks about this God's partial to his devotees. Of course, they're relating to him in a certain way. So naturally, he responds accordingly. You could say he's impartial in that sense. He responds according to how people um, um, approach him. Hmm? But if they approach him a certain way, then he becomes partial towards them. <laughs> if they become partial towards him, he becomes partial towards them. And that is a beautiful thing. It just goes on like this. But the answer really is just no, because of anadi, hmm? which means no, because there is no beginning to karma, which is what which is what your question was. What about the beginning of karma? No, there is no beginning. Go, oh yeah, right. There is no beginning to the Maya shakti. There's no jiva shakti. There's no beginning to the world cycles. Okay, right. Hmm? And then you go, but that doesn't work for me because I think like this. No, but you're not supposed to think like this. That's the whole thing. You're supposed to think like you're being told what the nature of reality is. That giving an explanation is the beyond your ken, beyond your ability to arrive at under yourself. That's the whole principle of the scripture. So if you just want to ignore that and go on and make up a story and so forth, then you're really not involved. Hmm. In Shraddha, hmm? which is Shraddha means faith in the in the argument of revelation. Hmm? So I have faith that there are things that I can't know on my own, and the means to know that is descending, and a considerable body of of that manifest descending truth is the sacred texts. Hmm? Say well, there are different interpretations. Fine, that may be, that's fine, but it's 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 there's no different interpretation of this in any sampradaya, hmm? not in Shankar sampradaya, Ramanuja, Madhva, Nimbarka, uh, Balava, um, or Gaudiya sampradaya. Uh, all the commentators, Balavidya the Nimbarka commentaries, Ramanuja's commentary, Shankar, Madhva's commentary. Mud was the only one that adds something to it. Hmm? He says it's an Adi. But he says the differences between the jivas in their situation is due to Nadi karma, but it's also something else. You have to remember his philosophy is Dwaita, difference, Dwaitavad. So he says every jiva is different. Hmm? And so, because they're all different then, although the karma is an adi, because they're all different, they'll also respond differently to different things. But 
that's his added, you know, thing. Um, but he tries to really make the same point that God's not partial; it has nothing to do with him. Now we don't we don't agree with that in the way that he thinks about it, um, and we, we we say, of course, every jeev is equal, coming from the equal person, Paramatma. Hmm? Is where the Buddha Jeev comes from. Is he's equal, so, like your creator, so to speak, your origins. So you, so you are. But if you and I are completely uniform, like you are one atom, I'm another atom. We both have the same number of electrons and protons and whatever else goes on in there. Hmm? We're di- you're one atom, I'm another. We're different, but we're made of the same stuff. And if part of that stuff, because we're an atom of consciousness, is that we have will, hmm? we're possessed of will, then there's no reason that if 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 two things are presented to two different atomic atoms of consciousness possessed of will, there's no reason that the two will choose the same thing. Hmm? You don't have to be inherently different hmm, to make different choices. So the argument of the extra argument of Madhava doesn't it's not something that the Gaudias agree with Baldev Bidibushan doesn't doesn't accept that. Um so at any rate, it's not that Madhva doesn't accept Anadi Karma, he, he he does. Um but he kind of tries to strengthen his argument and he's a Dwaitavad, so everything's different. Everything's different. Um that's his idea. So so but they're all in agreement on this. Hmm? You know, across the board, um, and and if you take take the take. Let's take the word anadi. Okay, how does it apply to Vishnu? Anadir adir Govinda sarvakarna karanam hmm? to Krishna. He's anadi, hmm? right? What does it mean? Does it mean that he has some time? Some time he began. No, it means he has no beginning, right? Obviously, you don't. If I say Vishnu is an Adi, you don't try to interpret the word interpret the word an Adi to mean anything other than beginningless, right? So if I say the Jiva is an Adi, do you try to argue that well, actually he has a beginning at some time he didn't exist? And so, you know the teaching: the Jiva is eternal, hmm? so he has no beginning. Hmm? So you ask, what about does Maya Shakti have a beginning? Was there a time? When the Maya Shakti didn't exist, no. All of Krishna's Shaktis are eternally existing. Now the Maya Shaktis manifest sometimes, sometimes not. Okay, yeah, right. You got it. Hmm? So the Maya Shakti has no beginning. It's an Adi, right? Right. Simple. We know what the word means. Okay. The Jiva Shakti is eternal, has no beginning. It's an Adi. Yeah, yeah, we know. Vishnu, yeah, yeah, yeah. And karma. No, no, no. We have to interpret the word Anadi differently here. Hmm? Now we have to interpret it differently. And all you're talking about is, wait a minute, there's the Maya Shakti, there's the Jiva Shakti, there's Bhagawan, and these make up the world, so to speak. Vishnu's beyond it, but these Shaktis come from him. Hmm? And the Jiva Shakti, Krishna says in the Gita, after describing Bhumirapuna Lobayu and Apareya Mitastanyam, Prakritim Vidimepram, Jiva Bhuta, the, the Jiva, the Para, Prakriti and the Apar Prakriti, the Maya elements. After that verse, he says, "The world is but these two. Hmm? 
interaction of the two. And of course, we know from the Gita that the, the binding force is karma. So if, if this one is eternal, that one is eternal, their source has, it has no beginning, their source has no beginning, what gives you the right to think all of a sudden that the, that the binding force for which the same term is used, anadi? I mean, it's, if you say, it doesn't say that karma is anadi, it says the world is anadi. Okay, good. Well, what's the world? It's the Maya Shakti, the Jivas, and that which holds them together, which is called karma. <laughs> you can't have a material world without karma. What's the meaning of a material world without karma? What? Does, that's what it. That's the glue, so to speak. That's what connects the Jiva and the Maya. So, so you can't say, well, it, it's it's speaking about the Jivas and Adi, or the worlds and Adi, hmm? but not karma. Where do you get the right to, you know, give a new interpretation to the word as it applies to karma there? There's no room for that. So that's the linchpin for this point of the jiva, not only, not only but... Yeah, well, that's from, that's from one side. The other side is we talk about the nature of the spiritual world and so forth. Right, but, so, but when, because karma is a nine, and we're currently in karma... That means we're, we've been in anadi karma, and it's only at the liberated when you're out of that karma. You're, if you're in karma, you've been in karma forever. Forever. Yeah. That's like the yeah. core. was really far out because I kept thinking we're looking to the six Goswamis to sort out the you know differences between what Prabhupada, Bhakti Siddhanta, Saraswati Thakur, Bhakti Vinod Thakur have said both things about the fall of the Jiva. How do you sort this out? Well, we look to the six Goswamis. Yeah. Well, we look to all of this, all the Sampradayas, and this yeah. core, core view of the world. You look at all the Sampradayas and all the scriptures, every single one of them. It's in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, it's in the Bhagavatam, it's in the Gita, it's in, it's in the Panditya, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. But Prabhupada says in his introduction to Bhagavad Gita that of these five things, only karma is not eternal. Yeah. That means that karma can influence because can come to an end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It has no be- it has it has no beginning. Right, but it can end for the Your individual. Karma. Your karma can end. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the good news. <laughs> That's good news. Yeah. It's the gospel. Wow. That was Huh? Oh. Okay. What's the time? Uh, it's after eight. Okay. We can talk. We have another night to it's go. It's anadi. It's anadi. And, and it's a turn. It's anadi. Yeah, it's I was younger then. Shishi go Radhamadava ki jai, go Bhaktivinda ki jai, go Premanam.